You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Well, I'm ready. You may be seated. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to the book of Judges. I love Judges. Listen, you are not dead, so God is not done. If you are still alive, God is not finished with you. Tonight, my message, quite simply, it's in your head. Before I start preaching, I'm going to ask you a question. If you are praying to a living God and you say amen, what has it done for you? If you get into God's presence and He touches you, how has it changed you? Often I speak to people and they say to me, well, you know, you are an extrovert and I'm an introvert. Where's that in your Bible? You respond to what you experience. I'm an introvert. I'll show you how introverted you are. I'll take you and I'll put this electric cable in your mouth and I'll pour a bucket of water over you and I'll turn the plug on. Let's see how introverted you behave. No, you experience a current going through you. So you express what you've experienced. When we really pray and get into the presence of God, something has to change. I'm not saying we've all got to dance and shout and scream, but, but something's got to change. When you pray, something has to change. And maybe the problem is we become too focused on prayer, which is not real prayer, but just a form of prayer, which becomes religion. I mean, I'll tell you an honest story. When I started preaching, this is a good one for all the young people that want to preach. My pastor at the time, I got saved in a charismatic Methodist church. I was a Methodist pastor for three years, and then I got saved again. No, I'm joking. I, I was saved. But long story, I don't want to go down that line. But, but he taught me how to preach, and he said, every Saturday night, you will pray. Three hours. Well, I wasn't praying. I was sleeping. And I had this tiny little house. And my wife would come about an hour and a half into my prayer session, meditation session, and she would bring me a cup of coffee or tea, and she would walk in and many times find me asleep on my desk. And she would say, Lovey, are you sleeping? I said, no, I'm in deep meditation. <laughs> it was religion. Okay, it taught me good discipline, but it was religion. I wasn't praying. I wasn't getting closer to God. I was falling asleep at my desk. When I started preaching, my pastor said, you want to preach? Good. You got the call of God upon you. Every Sunday afternoon, four o'clock, good place to start. Go to the old age home. I'm not just talking in the old age home. I'm talking the departure lounge. And I'm not talking about men and women. I was 23 years old and they sent me to an old age home with only women in it. Women that were in the departure lounge. And I would start preaching and they would fall asleep. And they didn't bring their pretty granddaughters. I mean, couldn't they send me to a university campus for girls only? No, they sent me to an old age home. And I had to do that faithfully week in, week out, week in, week out. But you see, religion is portraying something that not really is. We want to portray through social media the perfect church. We want to try, uh, portray through social media the perfect life. We want to, I mean, have you ever seen how pathetic selfies actually are? No, no, 
camera higher, please. I don't want it to get my hips. I mean, why do you ladies get into photos and all you do is this? Huh? What, what does this do to change your shape? The teapot. Come on, let's be real for a second. Oh no, you can't post that photo. No, but it's a great photo. No, what you're saying, it's a great photo of you, but I think it's a bad photo. That's my wife and I fight. I think it's a bad angle of me. She goes, no, but it's a good angle of me. I said, exactly. Or she says to me, why did you post that photo? Because it's a good angle of me and I'm not telling you that, but it's really a great picture of you. It's all false. How many, how many photos do we take before we get the perfect one so we can lie to the world about this perfect life that we live? It's in our head. The battle that really exists is in our head. And we've got to start getting real with God. We've got to start getting real with people. If we experience God's presence, how are we changing? If we experience God's presence in worship, how are we changing? How is it affecting not only our world, but the world around us? Oh, come on, I've been saved 28 years. I've heard so much gospel. I've been in so many church meetings. I've been in so many different places. But, but, but somehow I haven't always grabbed what I've heard. You have to pray this way. You have to pray that way. Now listen, there are certain principles we need in the body of Christ to function. We need to be prayers, yes. We need to be readers of the Word, yes. We need to attend church, yes. We should be tithers, yes. We should obey the Word of God, yes. But we can't turn it into a ritualistic formula. If you see how I prepare for sermons, I promise you it'll be different to the way Apostle Alan prepares for sermons, which will be different to the way Pastor Ad prepares for sermons because we all are different and we have a relationship with God and God speaks to us according to our personality, but it's the same God with the same Word and in different ways. So your pastor can lead you with principles, but you've got to develop your own relationship. I mean, I've never been a lovey-dovey kind of person that when we're having praise and worship, I hold my wife's hand in the air and we sort of, not me. Does it mean I don't love her? 25 years of marriage, of course I love her. People are different. We don't fall all over each other. It's just not us. But because you do doesn't mean you're wrong. Because when I come into church, I clap and shout and scream and you're maybe a bit more reserved so you don't do it. doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right and I'm right and you're wrong. You see, we see somebody, we try and make an assumption based on something that we see in ourselves or what we perceive in them. I mean, I walk and maybe you'll see me tonight, I'll walk maybe with a bit of a limp. I'm not trying to be a Cape Flats gangster. I had a knee replacement three months ago and sometimes it gets sore. My church thought I came back after hospital and I'm walking like this and they think, what's wrong with our pastor? No, I had an operation. You can't make an assumption, uh, summary of me based on some things you've seen. It's in your head. A lot of the battle that we have is in our head. A lot of the struggle that we have is in our head. Jesus already paid the price for your victory. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You are an overcomer. You're not an undertaker. It's in your head. You've got to take authority. You've got to understand who am I and what has God called me to be? How much longer are we going to tolerate the nonsense the devil is throwing at us? 
How much longer? Because there's a God part and a man part. And God has already done His part. We have to renew our minds. We have to walk in authority. We have to get to a place where we grow as individuals, enlarge the capacity that is on the inside of us. And that's, that's why your relationship with your leader is so important. Because he's there to lead you into your destiny. We're having our harvest event, which I have every year with Pastor Ut, beginning of August. And um, we haven't had one for two and a half years. And the last few years, we've been renting stadiums. We've had it at Kingsmead Cricket Stadium. The last one we had was at, at Moses Mabita Stadium. And, and this one is again at Kingsmead Cricket Stadium. And for the first time, we're involving a few other churches. And we've had an incredible response from pastors. Last week, we started inviting a few. And within four days, we've got 85 pastors that are coming to a breakfast with pastor at this week, Wednesday. 85, just like that. By, by Wednesday, it'll be 100. Now, my pastor doesn't sit still. I've said, Lord, we're trusting for 10,000 people on the Wednesday, the 3rd of August at Kingsmead Cricket Stadium. We're trusting for 2,500 salvations. We're trusting that this harvest event will, will start the church up. It'll almost be like a, 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 a whatever it is to, what well, a hard thing, to pump them up again to win the lost. Not just my church, but all churches in Durban. And so I texted my pastor last night. This is what I love about him. He knows it's 10,000. He knows what I'm believing God for. He knows we're having this breakfast. He knows, I said, Pastor, you won't believe it. 85 pastors are responding. For Wednesday, it'll get close to 100. He, he, he welcomes everybody. I'm so excited for the harvest event in Durban. We've got 100 pastors that we're going to activate on Wednesday for the harvest event. And he goes, and we're expecting 20 to 30,000 people for the harvest event. You've gone from 10, me, my faith, to 20 to 30. What has it done for me? Stretched me. It's in your head. It's stretching me. I was going 10,000. If we do 10,000, praise God, we've done good after COVID. He's going 20,000. He's seeing something different to me. Now, now, hear what I'm trying to get to. You grow by the books you read. How many, book, how many of you are reading books? Some of you put your hands up. Okay, let's not lie now. We're all Christians, right? How many of you read your Bible every day? For those of you who didn't raise your hands, why not? You grow by the books you read, the places you go. I mean, most people just go to work, back home, work, back home. Okay, slip off to the gym once in a while and pretend I'm working out and then back home. And maybe to the mall down the road to buy some stuff and then back home. And you know what happens? Our world becomes small. You grow by the books you read, the places you go. And the people you meet. Who are you meeting with? If your world is only this big, you need to find somebody who's going to stretch you. Thank God for Apostle Alan and Pastor Janine because they're going to stretch you. They're going to say some things that are uncomfortable to you. I thank God for my pastor because he stretches me. But it's too easy for us to lose. Pastor made a statement to me a few years back. He said, the greatest battle you'll ever face, Glenn... Is the one between your ears. Jesus won the battle. He's given us the victory. It's us to enforce. Listen carefully. Psalm 78 verse 40. I'm going to get to Judges chapter 6. I haven't forgotten. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God. Watch here. And limited. 
The Holy One of Israel, it doesn't say God was limited. It doesn't say the Holy One of Israel was limited. They tempted Him and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power the day when He redeemed them from the enemy. How many of us are limiting God? You have Apostle Alan speaking about how God is a God of restoration. God is a God of divine orchestrated recovery. We talk about God, a divine God of breakthrough. And how many of us say, yes, amen, but then we face our day-to-day situations, we feel limited. We feel restricted. I mean, if you've been a Christian for a few years, you've been through some battles. If you've been a Christian for a few years, you've had some victories. How come does the devil steal what God has done? Psalm 103 verse 1 to 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who satisfies your mouth with good things, who renews your youth like the eagles. We've got a way of forgetting. That's why I personally make memorials that remind me what God has done for me. Because somehow the devil steals from us. And when I see those memorials, my faith rises up because the battles will always be there. In this world, you will face tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You find your peace in God, you find your power in God, but you've got to remind yourself, this is what God has done for me. And if God has done it before, God can do it again. If God has done it in the Bible, He can do it again. If God has done it for somebody else, He can do it for me. You see, your battle is in your head. They did not remember His power. They did not remember who they serve. They did not remember who was on their side. In Numbers 13, verse 33, I'm getting to Judges 6, don't worry. It says, there we saw the giants, 12 spies sent out. Two come back and say, we are well able. 10 say, no, we're not able. Look at the giants in the land. Look at the COVID in the land. Look at the problems in the land. Look at the, the, the negative economic report in the land. Look at the president in the land. Look at the king in the land. There are all these problems. Are you problem focused or promise focused? It's in your head. Because the victory's already been paid for by what Jesus did on the cross, dying and rose from the grave. But, but the battle is in your head. I said it this morning. Are you part of the negative conversation? Are you neutral in the negative conversation? Because then you're still part of the problem. Joshua, Caleb, we are well able. God is able to turn Somerset West around. God is able to turn Cape Town around. God is able to fix up Durban. God is able to do this in Pretoria. God is able to do that in South Africa. Because the God we serve is able, or are you going to limit God? There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so were we in their sight. One of the most important principles we can learn from the Scriptures is as you see yourself, others see you. In other words, what you think of yourself is the reflection others perceive in you. Proverbs 23 verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I'm not talking about vanity. I'm not talking about narcissism. But, but how you see yourself is how others see you. How others perceive, perceive you. I've got no issue when I look in the mirror that I'm good looking. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't care what you think. God made me. I mean, I wake up in the morning... 
I haven't even got the sleep out of my eyes. And I look in the mirror, I go like, what's cooking, good looking? Oh, that, that, that's just, you know, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Well, rather that than look in the mirror and go, gross. Because how many of us are living with the wrong self-image? My family was poor. My great-grandfamily was poor. My great-great-great-grandfamily. So I suppose my life is just about being poor. I was born on the wrong side of the railway line. So therefore, I didn't get a proper education. Therefore, I know God loves me. But because it's in the head, the battle is in the head. And many of us are still struggling with battles in our head. The world is talking about depression like never before. And every child has got A, C, D, G, E, and F labeled on them. And God says, no, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen, if they had to test me when I was a kid, I'd have everything you could have. And all I needed was a good... My dad played squash. He was quite good at it. Still feels like a bit like a squash ball. Sure, there are real cases. Sure, there are real cases of depression. But how many of it is? How many? How many times there's just an excuse now? But I'll make somebody mad. Tablets can buy you time. Medicine can buy you time. And sure, there are some real issues. I'm not going to take away from somebody that has been really diagnosed with clinical depression. But I'm saying there's a lot of us that need to renew our mind. There's a lot of us that need to start focusing on the promises of God. Because the more you focus on the positive, the more your brain will, uh, will, will produce, uh, uh, what's that stuff called? Those things. Serotonin is the word I'm looking for. And the more you are negative, the less your brain secretes, whatever. And here's the reality, family. We get too lazy. And we read the newspaper. And we watch the negative reports on television. And we can't understand why we're getting this heaviness on us. If we would just get stuck in the Word and stuck in the promises of God and declare the Word and declare the promises, I'm telling you now, God will release something in our lives. Judges chapter 6. We have to retrieve our God identity. We have to retrieve our God boldness. We've got to retrieve our God purpose. From whom? God. Judges 6. We know the story quite well. I'm going to read from verse 11 to 16. It says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Bizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress. Something's wrong with this picture. He's threshing wheat in the wine press. We should just read that and realize this is not the norm. In order to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Oh, I could preach a sermon just on that statement because God never speaks to you about how he finds you. God never speaks to you about your problems. God never speaks to you about your sickness, your weakness, your battle, your struggle. He speaks to you as he created you to be. He speaks to you how he formed you, how he created you. are a mighty man. You are a mighty woman of valor. I'm talking to you, Gideon. You're a mighty man. I mean, Gideon's a coward. Gideon is hiding away. Like many of us through this COVID pandemic, we've hidden behind masks and used masks as a justification for where we find ourselves. God's not going to come talk to you about the, the bad things that happened. 
I mean, he's going to comfort you in that moment of, of, of sadness, to comfort you in that moment of, of, of tragedy. But he's going to talk to you about your future. He's going to talk to you about your purpose. He's going to talk to you about how he created you to be. And he comes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Oh, you'll never amount to much. Who said that to you? Did God ever say that to you? You're dumb. Did God ever say that to you? You ugly. Did God ever say that to you? You stupid. Did God ever say that to you? My wife is a teacher by trade. She's been in the ministry now 20 something years. I'm still trying to get the teacher out of her. I mean, she still speaks to me as if I'm a grade two kid. I said, love you, please don't raise your voice at me. I didn't. I didn't. You're doing it again. <laughs> but we've all found at school, a teacher has spoken to us badly. And for many people, they can't let go of that hurt. You won't amount to much. I preach, I always make up words or say words or speak bad English. And, and then my wife goes, that wasn't very clear what you said there. <laughs> you can't define me. God didn't call me to be perfect and portray this image that I've got it all together all the time. I've got battles like you. I've got struggles like you. I have bad thoughts like you. But I've got to understand my identity doesn't come from my bad thoughts and my struggles and my battles and the weaknesses. My identity comes from God. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Come on, somebody say amen. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord. I, I mean, it's, so, it's written so nicely. Pastor Danny, it's written so nicely. Oh, my Lord. I don't think it was like that. I mean, he's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's a coward. I don't actually think he recognized God speaking to him at first. Because <laughs> when God speaks to you, you're looking for him to, yes, giddy, 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 I know it's tough. The Midianites are oppressing you. It's so unfair and it's so unrighteous and it is so wrong. Oh, shame. Here's a dummy. <laughs> actually, Gideon's in the wine press and he's looking around. I don't know there's another Gideon here. But when Gideon realizes God speaking to him, he goes, oh my Lord, I got a question for you, God. If you're with us, then why has this all happened to us? And where are all the miracles that we heard about? Our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And so he said, typical average Christian, not CRC Christian, not Bay Christian, just other Christian. No, that's not Christian. So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my, oh, let's have a tissue moment here. I feel sorry <laughs> oh, this wouldn't go down too well in an average church anymore. The Lord said to him, surely, I'll be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I'm going to give you three things, if I can get it out. Three things. Why three? You always preach three things. Because I can't remember four. I've got grade nine maths. One plus one equals two. If your outflow exceeds your inflow, you're in trouble. X minus Y over P equals R. No, that went over my head a long time ago. <laughs> Three points. Maybe you'll remember one. 
God makes three statements. Three statements to Gideon. Three statements to Gideon that changes his life. The first one has to do with Gideon's identity. And before I give it to you, listen to me carefully today because I said it this morning and I want to say it again tonight. The world is confused and becoming more confused by the minute because they're not connecting with the living God. And the church, unfortunately, is falling into that trap. Your identity, your purpose comes from God and comes from God alone. It comes from His Word and God's words alone. Oh, come on, somebody say amen. People can affirm you, but people can't tell you who you are. People aren't allowed to put labels of limitation upon you. You are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do and you can be all God has declared that you can be through His Word in Jesus' name. I mean, here is Israel under oppression. Who is Israel? God's people. God's chosen nation. And they're under oppression because of disobedience to the Lord. They backslid. They grew cold during COVID. They became familiar with God and the things of God. And then all of a sudden they cry out to God and God shows His mercy and God looks at a man's heart and the man's name is Gideon and he's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, living in fear. Yet the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power and a sound mind. And God comes and speaks to Gideon about his identity. I mean, these are God's people. They're supposed to walk with God's identity in God's purpose, yet they are oppressed and fearful like many Christians in South Africa. We are oppressed by the regime. We are oppressed by popular uh, demands. We are oppressed by peer influence. We've been so split by COVID. Well, I believe in the Vex. And I believe in the Novex. Well, because you believe in the Novex, Novex couldn't play in the Australian Open. Do you understand? If your conviction is to get vexed, that's your conviction. If your conviction is not to be vexed, that's your conviction. But you can't put something on somebody else that you don't believe in. And if there's nothing in the Word, let them work with their own conscience. Are you vexed or no vexed? Who cares? And what's it got to do with you? And what difference is it going to make to you? If I believe God can supernaturally heal me of some disease and I've got a rhema word for it, it doesn't mean God's given you the same rhema. I've got a relationship with God and my relationship is in a certain way and certain place and certain journey with God. And maybe I can believe God for something that you can't believe God for. We're in a building project for 30 million rand right now. I talked to my pastor who's built buildings that looks like he just prays and builds buildings that goes quickly. That are quick. And he goes, what's 30 million? I'm stretched. Now, because he doesn't see 30 million as much and I see it as much, doesn't make me weaker than him. No, I'm in a different journey to him. Oh, I'm touching things now. I'm scratching, 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 scratching. You walk with God. You learn to conquer the lions. You learn to conquer the bears. And then you'll bring down Goliath. But you've got to have your own journey with God. And if, if, if you're in a place that's not where I'm at, doesn't mean you're wrong. It's your journey. But make sure you're still in the race. Make sure you're growing in your relationship with God. Make sure you, you, you're developing your faith in God. It's a muscle you have to develop. 
Something's wrong with this picture. Three statements from God that changed Gideon. Statement number one, remember, it's about his identity. He says to him, I mean, God gives him three statements. We have the whole Bible. We've become so familiar with this thing that most Christians know that Joseph built the ark. That Noah is the father of faith. We know enough to be dangerous. We need to get to the place. I love what Franklin Graham said the other night to Piers Morgan. He says, I believe the book from Genesis to Revelations. I don't always understand everything, but I believe it is the word of God. And I believe everything that it says. I don't have to understand. I have to believe. I have to believe. If God says love your neighbor, then love your neighbor. If God says forgive that person that's hurt you, then forgive them. If God says bless those who curse you, bless them. The first word that God gives to Gideon is about his identity. And he says to him, Gideon, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. This is who you are. And God is speaking to people tonight here in this campus and all the other campuses about this is who you are. You are a mighty man of valor. You are a mighty woman of valor. When you go to work tomorrow, pull in your tummy, push your chest out and walk in there as a child of God. Walk in there as a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. Walk in there knowing this is who I am. I mean, if you watch Wimbledon tennis, you, you, you don't see the, the Prince of England walking in there, slouching, looking like he's burdened, looking like the world is on his shoulders. You don't see him walking into the royal box and he's all, oh, I am the Prince. He walks in, man. He's in a suit. He walks around as if he owns the place. He walks in the authority of, the royal, of royalty. I mean, his son comes in with him. His son's this big. They catch him with his finger up his nose during the proceedings. But he's a prince. I'll, I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. This is who you are. This is who you are. Listen, I want to tell you, Gideon, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are a mighty man, a mighty woman of God. The first statement is about his identity. This is who you are. The second statement is about his purpose. Because if you don't know who you are, you can never fulfill your purpose. Then the Lord God turned to him and, and said, Go in this might of yours. Let me remind you who you are. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? This is your purpose. This is what I created you for. To save the nation of Israel. Hmm. How badly has the church missed its purpose? The Bible says in Luke 9 and 10 that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. The reason we are called Christians is, is, is we, it was first called to, to Christians. They were called people of the way. And it was called Christians at the first time in a place called Antioch. And they actually called them Christians, which means little Christ, because they were going around doing what Jesus Christ did. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Are your neighbors saved? Okay, you're not responsible for their salvation, but have you shared the gospel with them? Or are you just complaining about the noisy music? 
my wife, she's a blessing. The one night in our old house, the neighbors were making a noise, and we had asked them a couple of times to keep it down. Three o'clock in the morning, Saturday night, we about to go preach the following morning. So she eventually got in her pajamas. She runs outside. I pretend I was sleeping. She runs outside, takes the garden hose, and thinks she's going to spray on their window. And their window is open with all their CD equipment, and she sprays their CD, the pastor's wife. I asked her, what are you doing? I'm trying to baptize them. Do your neighbors know that you are a born-again, spirit-filled believer? Do your neighbors know that you serve God? Do your neighbors know and see the goodness of God in you? Do your neighbors see the mercy side of you? Or when you're swearing at them, do they think you're praying in tongues? We're here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose. I met with 10 pastors recently. Ten successful pastors in Durban, they came to see me two weeks in a row and they just wanted to ask some questions. And I said, let me ask you a question. When last, pastor so-and-so, did you lead someone to Jesus? When last did you witness your testimony to somebody and tell them about the goodness of God? When last did you invite them to come and hear you preach? When last did you see them get born again and watch them in the process of discipleship and come to the place where they got baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and became a good steward and started witnessing to When last? And all their heads went like this. And the one who's quite close to me looks at me and says, Brother, I can't remember. Yet that's our purpose. God gives us our identity, and then He gives us our purpose. He says, this is your purpose. This is why I created you. And finally, this is your identity. This is your purpose. And I'm going to give you the guarantee. Gideon. And the Lord said to him, surely, I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So God first says to him, this is who you are. This is the purpose which I created you for. Now don't be scared anymore, because I'm with you. I am with you. When we understand whose we are, we discover who we are, and we discover for what purpose we are alive, and then we become an unstoppable force for Jesus Christ. Because God is with us. But, but the reality is, it doesn't matter who or what is against you, because God is for you. God is with you. God is on the inside of you. And many of us don't walk in the authority that we have in Christ. In Judges chapter 7, I'm closing. I really am closing. The Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who left, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of the Midian was below him in the valley. God can save by many or by few. The deciding factor is not how many, but who is with you. Bible says in Genesis 39 that the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. He was successful in the pit. He was successful in part of his house. He was successful in the prison. He was successful in the palace. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the, law, of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. 
Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen the bay. It's time that we walk in our God-given identity. It's time that we walk in our God-given authority. It's time that we walk around knowing that God is with us. Come on, stand to your feet with me, please, in Jesus' name. He talks to him about three things. From tonight, believe this is who you are. From tonight, believe that your purpose is to win the last. And from tonight, believe that God is with you. And Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Apostle Alan, Pastor Janine, their whole family, for all the leaders, the pastors, the staff. I thank you, Lord, that they've been coming 28 years of serving you faithfully. And I pray that as we come out of the season of COVID, we're going to see, Father, divine restoration and recovery. We're going to see divine orchestrated breakthrough so that we can advance your kingdom. Lord, we declare that we are strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We believe tonight, Father, that you've given us an identity, Father, and that identity comes from you, that we are mighty men and women of valor. We believe tonight that we have a purpose to populate heaven and to plunder hell. And we believe tonight that we have the unfair advantage because one believer and God make a majority.